Hi there, and um, welcome to this is just the second Smart Buildings uh, webinar of 2016. And uh, we're talking about um, data today and, and how we can try and unlock that within Smart Buildings. And I'm really pleased to say that I've got uh, with me uh, on the, today's webinar, uh, Vladdy from a software company Lucid based in California. Hi, Vladdy. Hello, good morning. Uh, thanks yeah. for having me. Uh, no appreciate problem. the opportunity. Uh, absolutely, and um, looking forward to um, an interesting conversation today. I uh, just want to, um, f first of all, before we start, a um, couple of things. First off, um, questions. I uh, would love to get some uh, uh, you know, interaction about the things that Vladdy are going to talk about. Uh, very happy um, to put questions uh, to him and also to me if you if you have them. Uh, so please just type them in, uh, and I'll pick those up, and uh, we can we can deal with them uh, as and when's appropriate. And also, I just want to uh, say a quick thank you to uh, Tridium who are sponsoring this year's uh, webinars that we're doing. And so obviously, that's uh, really really useful for us, and and it's helping to to keep these uh, webinars free, and obviously the content. Um, uh, through to you guys as well. So uh, without further ado, um, Vladdy, can you please sort of introduce yourself a, a little bit and also just talk about Lucid and how, how you guys started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm uh, Vladdy with, with Lucid, uh, one of the co-founders of the company and the president. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, we're based in California, but we started our journey in, in Ohio uh, 11 years ago when we set out to change how people make decisions in buildings and how we can leverage data to make uh, the built environment a lot more efficient. Uh, we started the company on a very basic premise, which is when you make data accessible, um, people would respond to that and they're going to think twice and they're going to make, uh, again, more informed, better data-driven decisions. Um, we started this initially in an educational setting in uh, higher education universities. Uh, and discover that it's a very, very effective way to motivate and uh, empower building occupants, uh, which is a category of users in the building domain that uh, have rarely been engaged, to go and slash energy is pretty significantly uh, when you make that data accessible. And so we set out to build a software company. Um, we actually found that building a software company is not easy in the building space. And so I'm excited to talk about the progress we've made today, but also look at the market holistically and talk about the opportunities if um, you know we collectively, um, as an industry, can pull buildings from the 20th to the 21st century and take them from being what's mostly an analog space today to being mostly a digital and a software-driven space um, in the future. So what would you um, say, um, given you started this company, uh, what did you say, 2007? Uh, 2004, so okay. 11 years ago now. What, what would you say is the difference now then from today than uh, you saw a decade ago? Well, I think if you look at the kind of the technology cycle in uh, many uh, verticals of the economy, there's always that initial curve where a lot of the ingredients become available. I think uh, if you look at buildings, we've had data for a very long time. Uh, you know, building IoT, Internet of Things technologies, which is a, you know, a buzzword that's commonly used to describe the general space today, um, it has, it's been there for a while. Uh, the, the challenge has been that 
despite um, despite all the innovation that we've done in building technologies, we've never truly connected them to the internet. And I think that's the main thing that's now changed is that building technologies are being designed moving forward to be internet connected. Um, and it's a pretty uh, pretty powerful shift in thinking. Before they were just designed to speak on local serial networks, uh, so you can get the components to interconnect, sort of like a local area network. Uh, but right now, the big shift in IoT is um, skip the local area network, make components to speak to the cloud. And, and what that enables is uh, for software companies like us to build intelligence that sits on top of the building technology underneath. Um, and, and why that matters, you know, I, I personally am uh, really passionate about the opportunity that we have in buildings because they have a pretty tremendous impact, right? We spend the vast majority of our lives, 90% of our lives in buildings, they surpassed uh, transportation is the number one user of energy uh, worldwide. And if you look at the scale of the opportunity and just how untapped it is today, um, it's pretty massive, right? We've got just in the United States um, over five and a half million commercial buildings or 84 billion square feet of space. If you look at the amount of money that's flowing through the industry, just in energy efficiency retrofits, it's a pretty big number. Uh, and if you look at just what's being spent on energy and on operations, those are, again, very big numbers. Um, and if we compare that to a moment where kind of some of the macro trends that we're seeing, which is uh, migration towards urban cities where every building is becoming really a commercial building, a multi-tenant, whether it's residential or commercial multi-tenant building, um, and you look at the vast quantities of data uh, that are flowing, uh, you sort of ask the question where, where is the software, right? Where is the intelligence? Um, we're so used to software convenience in industries uh, that are all around us that buildings have been left behind, even though our businesses and our lives and our works and where we live and where we go to school sort of depend on them in a, in a pretty big way. Um, and, and so it's time to catch up, right? It's, I, I think that the time is certainly right. What's changed is that a lot of the technology, the pieces were there, but the market wasn't quite ready in a way that it is today, and it wasn't pulling the technology in, in a way that it is today. Uh, if you look at, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask, have you guys done or um, looked at how much data now then is being produced in a building as compared to, say, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago? Um, I thought that, that would be quite interesting. I know we've done some work and we looked at video surveillance and, Obviously, now it's the the kind of amount of video, um, digital video that's having to be stored is, is growing exponentially. Yeah, I think it is, but I think it's a, it's also a misconception to say that buildings weren't generating a lot of data. I think the data was there, no one was capturing it. I think it was just sitting in building automation systems that were never trending it. Um, and frankly, the technology for data storage at that scale didn't exist ten years ago. All these big data warehouses just weren't there. Um, but now the technology is there and people are beginning to capture the data. But to your point, we're layering a lot more technology that's creating um, tons and tons more data. If, even if you look at the challenge that utilities face today, you know, they used to go and collect 12 readings a year per building, per account. Now that's very different from smart meters that are generating 35,000 readings a year. So you need very different technology, very different infrastructure, very different analytics, very different software and business tools to be able to take advantage of all the value that's, that's there. And I think with IoT, that's really where we're going to see the exponential growth. 
is when you begin to layer low-cost hardware devices that are internet-connected, that's really, to me, IoT equals data, um, and, and to some degree control, but really mostly data. Um, and so that's really the explosion that we're going to see is um, you have, uh, you know, if I were to fast forward a few slides, you have all these technologies uh, in buildings that, you know, historically have been generating a lot of data, and there's a lot of vendors, and it's pretty fragmented for a software yeah. company to capture it. It's really, really hard because they're all different APIs, different protocols, some are on-premise, some are in the cloud, some are sort of in the middle. Um, and historically, this software that has come from those systems has been, um, frankly, it was never designed to be used by a user. Uh, it was designed to be leveraged by, a, you know, a system specialist or a systems integrator. Mm -hmm. So there, there was no interface created for everyone else. Um, but we're now seeing a big convergence of IT into buildings. You're seeing companies like Intel, uh, companies like Dell, enter the space fairly aggressively. You see um, companies like GE basically saying, we're going to retool ourselves to become a software company, first and foremost, and secondarily a manufacturing company and a technology company. Mm -hmm. And so with, with that um, uh, convergence of IT technology, a lot of things are changing. Uh, but one thing that isn't is how do you connect the dots, right? You've got this legacy world of building tech, and you've got this next generation world building IoT. And, and, and there's no standards, and, you know, we had BACnet back in the day when it comes to building automation. We still have it, uh, but there's no protocol when it comes to all these next-generation solutions. Hmm. Yeah, definitely echo that thought. Um, got a question from the floor here. Uh, it's probably a little bit more technical than what we're doing, but um, I think it's worth taking now. Uh, it's asking how you're handling security concerns with IoT and dealing with IT departments to allow... BMS systems to communicate on the on the cloud. Yeah, it's a, it's an excellent question. It's one that's very very relevant because I think if as we begin to layer more and more devices in buildings, you're really layering more and more attack vectors in buildings. Uh, now, buildings haven't historically been um, uh, a natural target, but increasingly they are. And so, if you look at uh, the architecture of building automation systems, um, you know, from 10 years ago, which is what, still what we put in buildings today, um, it's it's one that doesn't necessarily it's not built to be internet connected. It's built to operate on a local network. And if you look at how, for example, folks from the GSA handle these things, or or folks from, um, you know, some of the leading technology companies, is they basically isolate those devices on separate networks, and they're saying they shall be treated as, you know non-secure, you know, things that we can't connect to the internet because they're not fully secure, so we're going to keep them on a separate network and isolate them. Um, and so there's even been technology solutions really designed to help companies work around that um, so they can still access them but still keep them secure in a network. As we begin to layer more and more IT infrastructure in buildings that is connected to the building fabric, uh, the data fabric of a building and the control fabric of a building, um, you really need to design for security first. And I think that's why you see companies like Dell and Intel get um, the traction that they're getting and the excitement in the market that they're getting because they know security. They know IT. Right. They know how to manufacture devices that an IT team knows how to manage. Um, but this has to be done in collaboration with the software companies, right? This is not uh, the old vertically integrated market where a vendor drops a solution with hardware, software, and service and they can, you know, isolate it, you're switching to a horizontal market where you have uh, both, you know, best-of-breed hardware, best-of-breed software, best-of-breed service. 
And in that world, you got to design things for security. So a lot of the approaches that have been taken are devices that are data generation only purpose devices would bubble the data up to the cloud. So you're not reaching into a firewall. You know, oftentimes building automation systems may have a, let's say a web service API. The way you read that is very insecure. You got to ask the IT team to open a firewall port. Um, so it's, it's little things like that. But when it comes to control, it gets uh, complex very quickly. And so that's, that's what Intel and Delphi, you know, yeah. for example, are looking to tackle uh, in the market. Mm. It's interesting you, you kind of um, brought that up. I'm, we're seeing a lot of partnering now from, from you know, what we're reading. I know IBM uh, talked about a partnership this, uh, this week with Siemens. Um, and we wrote an article uh, yesterday about sort of the approaches we could see, um, you, know, is, you know, how we're going to get to this kind of um, IoT in buildings. And it, will it be uh, coming from the top down from the IT providers or will it be coming more from the traditional um, suppliers of building automation? But I think what what I think we'll probably see is a lot more partnerships between the two. Um, and yeah, yeah. That was I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. I mean, I think uh, you know back to your uh, question uh, from before, which is what has changed in the last ten years. Yeah, I think the building automation companies were initially very hesitant and resistant to partner because they saw the introduction of new software players as threatening to their business. Mm. The reality is that that's just not true. Uh, the reality is that when we partner. Um, um, with certain folks like Siemens, for example, we have a long-standing relationship. Yeah. Uh, we've done over 100 projects now together with them. The reality is that when you deploy software that makes technology useful, you you um, open up and unlock a lot of value that, frankly, the technology is there, the infrastructure is there, the person who's using it is a guy in the basement, and there's you know, 20, 30, 40 other people that should be using the tools, should be using the data, should be using the technology. So right. you're generating a lot more value for the enterprise what that does is it pushes the enterprise to do more deployments with that building technology vendor. So it's it's good it's good for the infrastructure. Yeah, that's well. that's interesting, isn't it? Because providing exposure to the data makes it more useful for for that organization. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's really where what we really begin to see is that uh, fundamentally buildings are now um, first and foremost a data problem. I think they're a data problem from how you optimize them. But it's also a data problem as far as how do you sell technology into buildings. Um, I skipped a few slides earlier, but what I wanted to show is that if you look at the amount of transactions, uh, uh, monetary transactions in buildings, they dwarf all of online advertising. And yet the delivery of online advertising keeps some of the largest software technology companies in the world in business today. Just the delivery, not even the ads, but just the delivery of the ads. And yet the way we sell technology into buildings is by knocking a whole bunch of doors, pitching a whole bunch of solutions, collecting a whole bunch of data to make an ROI business case, and then that information is lost. So if you can actually um, create a central data platform, which is what Lucid is really doing, for commercial buildings, you can make um, the sales job of a lot of companies significantly easier. Uh, and it's, it's one of the things we really want to change in the industry is the, the efficiency at which uh, customers can buy products and also companies can sell products into the market. Um, and, and again, we you know we take a best of breed approach. Over the last 11 years, we've been, built uh, really the broadest integration data platform uh, that exists today, and that includes both traditional technologies and, and new next generation IoT uh, type solutions. And, and what's allowed us to do this is the fact that we're independent. We don't have a vested interest. Whether we recommend 
you know, mm -hmm. so a meter a metering technology from one company or another. At the end of the day, we're looking for the best innovation. Can we go back one slide there? I just got a question here from the floor, and I think it's kind of relevant to that slide. Um, and actually, we've got a few questions here, but I'm, I'm just trying to, just so you know, guys, that we're just trying to put them in at relevant points so Vladdy can, can get across his, his points as well. Um, but this one was about uh, what are the challenges of old legacy BMS systems like Honeywell uh, with CBUS protocol? Um, how do you capture data from such systems? So I, I'd say that the, the biggest challenge is really how you onboard a customer, how you deploy technology. Um, if you look at, you know, I think Tritium is probably the best example. If you look at um, what Tritium is a great platform, uh, you know, it's, it's really changed the industry in a pretty fundamental way. But Tritium was never built, it was never designed for the end user, right? Tritium was built for the systems integrators out there. And so without the systems integrators, you cannot deploy it. It's really, really hard. I mean, we're, we're a licensed Tritium reseller. We are a um, user. We deploy a lot of Tritium boxes to access data from building automation systems. But the reality is that it's just too time consuming. And because we're not a service company, you know, because we, we're not looking to make money on systems integration, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Um, so the main difference is that older technology requires systems integration work to be deployed. So you can't actually use traditional go-to-market channels like IT distributors to get the technology to market. Uh, the difference with new technology, next generation technology, and that's the collaboration, for example, that we have with Dell, is um, that you know they ship a box that has uh, an image of building OS on it. And from the factory, it's pre-integrated. So when you light up the box, it already shows up in our platform. There's no integration that has to be done. So that's really the big shift is, um, you know, how do we accelerate the rate at which technology is deployed by eliminating the need for, for SI, for systems integration work to have to happen in order to provide value to a customer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and, um, and that really <laughs> gets to another point I wanted to make, which is if you look at the solutions that we've provided in the market over the last 10 years, I think a lot of companies, frankly, confuse complexity for value. And they've gone very, very, very deep. I think one such example of technology like that is um, fault detection analytics. Right? For a small segment of the market, um, which is buildings that have an advanced modern building automation system, that have a very, very savvy uh, building automation expert on staff that can actually leverage that, that technology, you provide value. But you've gone so deep that it makes it very difficult to provide a product for the wider market. And so what we focus to do as a company is really how do we go as wide as possible while still going a foot deep, not an inch deep? Um, because the sophistication of uh, technology, the sophistication of uh, energy management practices and processes and organization just isn't there yet. It's changing, but there's a maturity cycle, there's a maturity curve, and our goal is to push people to the far right, to the you know high end of the maturity curve, and fault detection is there, but most of the market isn't. So. Um, having an experience that's really, really engaging and very simple um, has become the cornerstone of how we think about product at Lucid, and we've seen great success. If you look at the traction we've gotten in the market, it took us 10 years to deploy the first 3,000 buildings mm. on the platform. We've added 9,000 commercial buildings just in the last 12 months. So that gives you a sense of if you have the right product that is wide enough but it's simple to deploy, simple to use, and accessible to a broad range of audiences and users, 
um, you can be really effective at penetrating the market uh, as opposed to focusing on a sliver of the market and go very deep as far as complexity. Um, but that being said, I think the segmenting the value provide is important. You, you have to have the system level views, right? I think the, uh, one of the main things, again, when you talk about fragmentation is we're not, the market is not only fragmented as far as technology underneath, it's also fragmented in terms of software solutions. Uh, there is, I'd say probably 60 companies of which, you know, that offer solutions uh, that are worth mentioning. 25 really matter, you know, they have decent solutions, but they only do one thing and one thing only. And, and part of it is that we've all had to reinvent a whole bunch of wheels because there's no common data platform, and that's why we as a company has focused on building a common data platform across technologies. Um, you know, there's companies that focus just on financial views. There's companies that focus just on fault detection. There's companies that focus just on um, analytics at the whole building level. There's companies that focus just on smart meter data analytics from the utility. Uh, but if you're a customer, you need all of those things. And so you've got to have the system views. You've got to have the building level views. You've got to have the portfolio of views that report to the C-level and the finance level. Um, and, and engaging all those audiences is, um, is pretty critical. So usually there's a disconnect. Most of the industry sells into energy facility managers. Um, and there's kind of overload of solutions there. There's almost nothing for the finance people. There's almost nothing for the tenants. There's almost nothing for the C-suite. So they're kind of in the blind, well, I was in the dark. I was ask you a question there, actually. I mean, where, when you guys are pitching to um, an organization, let's say one that has multiple buildings and, you know, they're very interested in, in energy and sustainability, and wh where are you selling that into? Like, where are people listening about smart buildings? Is it at the um, yeah, you know, it, it depends on, on two things. One, it depends on the vertical that you're selling into. And two, it depends on uh, how far in the maturity cycle the, the customer is. So, um, you know, early in the maturity cycle, you're selling into sustainability. Uh, later in the maturity cycle, you're selling into energy and facilities. After that, you're engaging finance and, and um, also the C-suite. So it, um, it sort of depends, and that's part of the art, right, um, is being able to identify for every customer where they fit on their maturity curve and also how do you provide the right set of solutions. You know, one of the things that we do well is because we have a really wide product offering on the business application side, um, we're able to go into a customer that may not have an effective energy management process or a sustainability team but has finance objectives. Uh, and needs to deploy a budgeting process to track budgets across all their facilities, and that's all they want to do, uh, we have a solution for them. Or you may want to have a C-suite that wants visibility over you know, how the buildings are performing at a very high level. Uh, we can provide that as well. Or you may have a super savvy energy management team um, of uh, you know, a bunch of rock star energy managers that need better tools, um, and that's, that's a great customer as well. So, the best scenario is when they have all these needs and we can provide a fully complete solution. Uh, but it's generally the folks that we sell them to, and again, it's really driven by vertical immaturity. Um, and that's and that's really where you know the there's certainly, and we'll talk about value in a moment, <laughs> but there's um, certainly a lot of these solutions have a clear ROI value proposition when it comes to energy savings. Um, and energy savings is great, and frankly, it's what helps fund these projects and these deployments. Um, but the true value is operational efficiency and data-driven intelligence. That's why customers buy. 
because they want to be more efficient as a team and they want to make sure they all agree which way is north and they all want to go there in the most efficient way possible. Um, today a lot of these uh, roles are frankly left behind unless you have a complete solution for everyone. Yeah, there's a, there's a relevant question here from the floor. It was asking um, which verticals are you, uh, are you seeing um, most movement, movement with? And they give the example of corporate buildings, retail, universities. Is there, is there one vertical that you're seeing that, that's really running with smart buildings more than others? So I'll, I'll give an answer to that, but I will caveat the answer with um, the fact that we as a company are only focused on portfolio customers, so we don't focus on one-off buildings. So mm -hmm. there, there's certainly quite a bit of traction in individual super green buildings, smart buildings, and that's that's a category of its own that we don't tackle as a company. But in the portfolio world, um, it's really four core verticals. It's um, educational campuses, both K-12 and high ed. That's where Lucy started. We've got over 250 customers in that domain. It's government. Um, we've signed up just in the last 12 months over 25 cities and one state as a customer. A lot of buildings coming online in an area, big rush to cut down on energy usage and clear ROI value proposition. Um, it's multi-tenant commercial real estate. It's investor-owned. It's a big vertical. Very different drivers. You know, less less interest in energy savings because of the triple net leases. Uh, much more interest in uh, tenant retention and, and, and comfort and things like that. And then finally, it's um, owner-occupied um, Fortune 2000 uh, commercial office space, um, and that's where we have over 100 customers and, and a lot of a lot of traction. That's where you have your own energy management team, um, and you have ample budget to go in, um, really drive efficiency. You want to know where you're investing. I'd say that the common theme across all those is um, a lot of money is being spent on efficiency. I think people have been uh, tactical in how they go about efficiency investments and building improvements. I think they're becoming strategic and they want to make sure that they invest money where they get the biggest return and they have the financial transparency and oversight to understand how capital investments are performing and that's really what's driving the market forward is reinvestment and efficiency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so to that end, you know, we talked kind of pulling the conversation back to data. Um, there's really four areas where data comes from, from hardware, physical systems, uh, ERP cloud-based solutions, utility data, things like that, and then all the inputs from operators and tenants. Um, but financial pieces are really critical. You know, have, being able to convert from, let's say, engineering units to dollars and cents is actually a non-trivial problem in the industry. You got to have a rate engine, and we have thousands of utilities, so you got to have the rates for each one. Um, you know, that that's something that we've invested in very heavily because the financial stakeholder is so critical. And once you layer in all these various data sets, really what the customer wants to know is what are the patterns, what are the decisions, what are the correlations between all these things, what are the, what are the individual insights that would actually lead into actions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, was, I was at a, in a webinar recently and someone said, you know, our engineers are finally able to stop being analysts and are switching back to being engineers again. And that's really what you want. Um, you know, computer software is much better at gathering, organizing, normalizing, analyzing, and presenting data than we humans are. Uh, we're very good at making decisions and taking action. Mm. And so that's really what software technology that's data-driven enables organizations to do is stop messing with the data, focus on executing on 
actions that actually have an impact that drives business outcomes. Um, and I want to give a couple of examples because um, you know I don't want to talk about data in circles without providing concrete uh, examples of how people use this type of information. But one one example I want to highlight is this is one of the tools we have in the product, which is schedule optimization um, application. And if you look at Lawrence Berkeley National Labs, which is one of our customers, uh, big success case there where they deployed the technology, loaded all the data, and within two weeks identified that multiple buildings on the campus um, were not scheduled correctly. They had a control system uh, from one of the four big vendors. Um, they have you know, some of the brightest and most intelligent energy building scientists uh, there are. Um, but they simply didn't have the time of the day to sift through all the data. So being able to look at the inside, they switched the building. What you're looking at is um, uh, hourly data over the course of a year where the columns are the hours of the day and the rows are individual days of the year. You can see that the building was heated all night long. Um, and so they made a simple change. They made another change again. And then they cut gas use in half in those facilities. And so that's an example of a very low-cost, no-cost measure. Get the data, provide the insight, take an action. Took 15 minutes to reconfigure the BMS. Suddenly, you've reduced usage by 50%. Yeah. Uh, and that's not uncommon. That's actually very, very common. Um, because even even after we we tweak the building in the perfect setting, um, building you know one of the challenges with efficiency is that it's not persistent because you have humans in the equation and humans mess with the settings, and the settings will invariably change from where you want them to be. Um, and so that's why you end up with creeps and baseload. Again, if you're a building manager, your job is very reactive. It's not proactive. That's just the nature of the business. So you don't have time to sift through and analyze data. You want software to tell you, how, hey, baseload went up. Here's what it went up by. Here's the annual impact. You can make a decision whether you want to go and figure out what caused it or not. But um, you want to have the insights um, that, that enables operators to make that decision. Yeah. And so to, to us, it's really how do you build better software for buildings? You know, how do you build the analogy of you know, Microsoft Office on top of an operating system uh, that enables you to be much more productive as an as a, as a individual, as a team, and at the end of the day as a business? Yeah, sure. Uh, question then, I, mean, I know you showed us the uh, Berkeley Labs one there, um, and that, that sort of uh, shows data from the BMS, right? Yep, yep. Um, have you seen or, or, or do you collect data that goes beyond just BMS and like metering data? Where else are you seeing big data sources come from in buildings? Um, yeah, that, that's actually an excellent question because, um, again, of the, of the you know 60 plus companies I mentioned, um, all of them are focused on data from buildings, whether it's metering data or BMS data. And that's, you know, that only addresses a small portion of the spend that organizations have, which is energy and resources. A much larger one of that is um, operations and efficiency of the operations team. And even bigger of that is the revenue of the business. You know, how are you impacting operations? How are you impacting business outcomes? How are you affecting the top line of the business? If you're a commercial real estate and you have a crappy building manager and they're not responding um, you know, to comfort requests, you're going to lose your tenants, and that's really going to hurt. Energy really doesn't matter at that point that that happens. Um, and so, again, if also if you're incenting an energy manager to tweak the building so it's very efficient, you can start making your, build, your people sick in flu season because you're not circulating an affair. 
in the building. So having visibility over those pieces are really important. Um, we are, you know, our vision, our integration platform is is um, very broad as far as what types of data we pull in. If you look at, uh, for example, the city of Orlando is a great example. Uh, one of our customers on the government side, um, you know, what we're doing with them is uh, total cost of ownership, not just energy, but labor. You know, how, you know, being able to pull all the work order data from the various uh, work order systems and understand how investments in efficiency are also impacting their cost of labor. You know, if you put a fall detection solution that is spitting up all kinds of work orders, and yes, it's cutting energy use for that one building by 20%, but your cost of labor goes up 5x, that's not a very good business decision. And so being able to enable systems thinking requires that you pull in uh, data sets across a, a very wide range of ERP and business systems. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, and so that, that also ties in with, um, you know, validation. I mean, one of the other things that the city of Orlando wants to see is um, how financial investments pay back. Uh, they're spending $20 million on efficiency over the next four years. They've already started. Um, and as a government organization, they need to make sure that they're transparent whether those investments are working or not. If you look at Proposition 39 here in California, um, where um, just massive amounts of money are being spent across K-12 districts on efficiency improvements, the measurement and verification aspect of that work um, is a complete afterthought, which is, which is uh, frankly a little bit absurd given the fact that it's public money being spent. Um, and there should be validation built into any program. You know, if you're going and asking for money um, as a facility manager, as an energy manager, um, your best chance of success to get more money in the future is to show results. Um, the challenge is that showing results today is really difficult. Um, being able to normalize by vacancy, by uh, occupancy, being able to normalize by weather, by operations, being able to normalize by business performance, if you're a production facility and you're making drugs, for example. Um, um, those, are, those are things that impact your energy use. And so it's not as simple as saying, well, we use 20% less. Uh, because there's a lot of variables. So we've been really committed to making that as simple as possible. That's another area where we've collaborated with the Lawrence Berkeley Natural Labs and have gotten several grants in the area to develop really easy to use measurement and verification technology that with a click of a button you can spit out the financial returns. Um, and it's a game changer. And it's a game changer uh, because it enables organizations to reinvest the savings. And when you enable organizations to reinvest the savings, you open up a continuous loop of capital being available for additional efficiency um, improvements, building retrofits, and so forth. And that's what really starts to move the needle for the industry is when you open up financing mechanisms. Um, the, the, other, the other piece that I want to touch upon is, you know, we talked about user engagement. We talked about the importance of data. We talked about what you can do with data. Um, none of this matters if people don't use it, right? If people don't log in into whatever software technology you've created, uh, none of this actually matters. And so we've really focused on um, the communication aspect of the technology, which is how do you enable really flexible KPI reporting that's drag and drop so that you can map uh, the KPIs of an organization to how, how and what you track, and then how do you actually push it out because um, you know, you're going to have a wide group of people that don't know what's in the software, they don't know what to look at. Someone needs to prepare that view for them and push it out to them, whether it's a PDF, email on their phone, 
um, that's really, really important is um, having both full-based, push-based communication with users and making that as simple, uh, as simple as possible. And when you do that, you see successes like this. Uh, Weber State, one of our customers, uh, saved um, over $1.5 million in energy costs just in 2013. Uh, and, and the way they did it is by implementing a business process that maps to the software. So it's not just the, the tool in and of itself is not um, what changes organization. It's really change management. It's how do you build a business process around this? And, and if you look at other industries, if you look at sales, you know, if you deploy Salesforce in an organization on its own, it's not really going to move the needle for the organization. What moves the needle and makes a very efficient sales team and sales organization is a business process that maps to the tools. And so uh, we've spent a lot of resources to understand what that business process should look like, uh, where you have uh, very capable organizations that are very successful in what they do. And we've synthesized it. We're actually starting a series of webinars on the topic um, um, called the Building OS Methodology that's really, you know, how do, how do customers, what, is the, what are the best practices in the industry for customers who are successful, and how do they actually put the tools and the data and, and practice on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Great. Well, we have, um, we've got quite a few questions here now, Vladdy. I don't know if um, you, you're happy to tackle those now. Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's go for it. So uh, first one is uh, talking about considering projected growth in, in city populations. Should we be thinking about smart buildings and, and smart cities together? Um, yeah, I mean, I, absolutely, I think is the answer, uh, right? We, I think enabling systems thinking is uh, the only way that we're going to be able to scale the urban infrastructure in a way that's not going to make living in cities absolute hell. Um, and because there's many aspects, there's many, there's many pieces to the coin, right? It's not just, um, it's not just the efficiency and the resource use of the buildings. It's traffic congestion. Um, it's being able to have data on when people get to work and when people go home. It's how do you actually equip uh, urban uh, urban centers with, with the right transportation hubs. So uh, data plays in a lot of areas. It's, it's air pollution. I think the, uh, the advent of IoT, which is really just say cheaper data gathering, cheaper data sensing that's easy to deploy, is going to unlock a lot of that. Um, and so I think we should definitely be thinking about smart buildings in the context of smart cities and thinking how the data can be leveraged outside of purely building management and building operations, how it can be leveraged for cities to make better, more informed decisions about uh, everything else they do. And is that something that your system could, you know, help enable in the sense that the data that's, that's in it that you're using is ex then could be exposed to other, other systems? In a city, yeah, absolutely, and and that's that's very much part of uh, what we've worked really hard to do is build a very extensible API that makes data access very simple, so that other business uses of the data uh, don't have to go through 11 years and 180 integrations and building a standardized data model for buildings before they can deliver something new in the market. Right, that's that's what we suffer from the most is that we all start from scratch when we want to do anything with technology. So being able to build on the shoulder of giants is critical. You know, I, a lot of people talk about disruption in this market, uh, which is actually a word I don't agree with and don't really like to use in the context of buildings, because if you think about the evolution of building technology, um, nothing is disruptive. We don't rip and replace in buildings. When you install technology in buildings, you expect 30 to 40 years of 
you know, lifetime of any piece of technology because yeah, it's right. expensive, it's a big investment. Absolutely. So to talk about disruptive technology, frankly, is nonsense. I think we need to talk about transformational technologies. How do you leverage the building automation infrastructure to um, create value for the organization that, you know, frankly, is, is a stranded asset to some degree in some places? It's how do you build on top of those that have put in all that um, technology into buildings? Um, so that's, that's why we also think in the same way as how do we actually build APIs that enable companies to go beyond what we've envisioned or what we're working on and developing. Mm. Okay. Uh, is there an emerging product that will consolidate various standalone systems? And uh, this question, they also say, we are currently limited to using points on our BAS to accommodate monitoring. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's really what we do. Um, if you look at what Lucid is doing, that's really what we do is being able to um, create a data platform that's really designed for data. I think if you look at building automation systems, they weren't, they're not data systems. They are building automation systems. They are designed for building control, and they're optimized for building control, and that's what they do very, very well. Uh, they thrive in highly complex, you know, secure, very precise environments. If you look at the needs for data gathering, using a BMS system is complete overkill. Uh, it, it's not what it's designed to do. You're also introducing a lot of hops in the data. So if, if you know, I'll give you two examples. One is let's put the submitter in the BMS system. The other one is let's put it straight to the cloud. If the purpose of the submetering is to make better decisions, then you should have the data pushed straight from the cloud because you're going submeter cloud. There's only one thing that can break, and if it breaks, the IT team can fix it. Mm. Um, if you're using the submetering data, you're running it through the building automation system, you have to go meter to building automation system gateway to building automation system server to CSV file or a 3 MJs to CSV file to the cloud. So when something breaks, there's five fingers that get pointed in five different directions. Um, and it's just a lot more expensive to set up. Now, you know, if you use the monitoring data for control, that's a different story. It should be part of the BMS. So I think that's the main differentiation is that you you got to use systems for what they're intended to do. Uh, building automation systems are great for control. That's what they do. And when it comes to data gathering, um, we, you know, we work with a lot of hardware companies that are that next generation IoT solution that have sensor cloud and it's low cost. You can set it up yourself. Um, and innovation in submetering is um, really surpassing what we can do. We can now not only eliminate the systems integrator, you can also eliminate the electrician and the need for that. Uh, there's two companies that provide stick-on sensor that you stick literally with 3M double stick tape on top of the breaker. You don't even need to open the panel and they start pushing data straight to the cloud. Yeah, I've seen that. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, um, I have another question here. Actually, this is, really, this is a really good one. They're saying, although they do not yet exist, can you provide examples of standards or protocols that you would expect to see in the future? Um, it's, a, it's an excellent question. So it, it's, it's one that we've thought hard about is, you know, are standards going to emerge <clears throat> and are we going to support them? Or um, is everyone going to, is this going to be the Wild Wild West and everyone's going to have their own API, their own standard, their own way to exchange information? And, and that's kind of where we are at the moment, isn't it, a little bit? We're yeah, and that's really what we've looked to create is when we think about what we're building, we're really building a data model for buildings and we're building a data platform that can accommodate all those end-to-end you know, -end integrations. Um, because the, the challenge is that even though the domain is buildings, there's no defined system. 
and how people use the technology is not, it's very unique in every application. So some people may use submetering to track energy consumption at the circuit level. Some people may use it to actually track whether a device is working or not. Um, and so if you look at the BACnet protocol, which was really put in place to enable um, integration between different building automation systems by ASHRAE in, in 1995, um, the, the application was very clear, HVAC control, and that was it. So you had control points, you had uh, read registers, write registers. It was pretty straightforward. Now you're talking about comfort, you're talking about noise levels, you're talking about temperature, you're talking about um, energy consumption, you're talking about operations and vibration of equipment. Um, so there's, it's really difficult to come up with an established standard. I think if we're speaking strictly about data exchange, we can, and we look to standardize that through a set of APIs that a lot of new hardware companies implement that are the building OS standard JSON exchange. But if you think about what the data means, we're still stuck in tagging. Um, if most large data systems just work with tags, and tags are not structured data. If you look at modern um, data platforms, things are object-oriented. You have an object that is a building, the building has spaces, it has tenants, it has an HVAC, an HVAC system that has certain components. So that's what really what we look to create is that um, singular data model that describes the, the commercial building. Um, and then we're doing the mapping from you know everyone's technology into that single model because we haven't seen a standard. If a, st if a standard comes along, that'd be great. I think it's going to move the industry forward. Um, I, I think it's a very hard task. Yeah, that's really interesting. Have you written about that, your data model? Is there somewhere people can um, information about that? Um, no, it's something that we work with individual technology vendors on, and we just, you know, from the perspective of the customer, we really just make connecting those um, disparate physical systems very simple, so that once they're plugged in, they just make sense. Uh, but it's something that we work on, a, you know, one-on-one -on -one basis with individual technology partners. Okay. Uh, still, sorry, more questions here, and I'm trying to get through them all before before we finish. Um, uh, one that's kind of relevant then. Um, uh, just to what, what we said here, um, um, Project Haystack, um, do you have an opinion on that and do you consider that to be an open protocol? Yeah, I mean, Project Haystack is really a tagging system, so it's it's sort of the... Defines things um, in the building, right? Defines... Yeah, I, I, wouldn't call, I wouldn't call it, I mean, I want to say a duct tape solution, but I, I don't want to use that word because it devalues it. I think what Project Haystack is doing is very, very important. It basically... Um, deals with the inconsistencies and the flat, you know, the, the lack of a data model in the building domain. So it comes up with a set of standard tags. Um, you know, that, that certainly helps that problem, but that's not the correct solution. The correct solution is an object-oriented model, a canonical data model that we all follow. Uh, and, and it's something that, you know, folks like Autodesk have tried to create. Um, it, it, it's something that the Department of Energy has pushed hard to create. I think the challenge is that um, Nothing has really stuck because nothing has really been incorporated into a product that's had the traction that's necessary to become kind of the um, connective tissue to make everyone com uh, conform to a data model. So, you know, we certainly, how we think about it, we certainly look at the work that um, NREL is doing. We certainly look at the work that Autodesk is doing. We certainly work at the work that DOE is doing. And, you know, we've kind of taken a task ourselves to create that singular view of an object-oriented model. So. In the meantime, until we have that, uh, I think Project Haystack is the only way that you're going to move uh, things from the legacy world um, um, into, you know, where we need to be. Yeah, yeah, agree. 
Uh, question here about physical security. Um, are you seeing the emergence of IT class monitoring and management solutions designed specifically for physical security environments? And if so, are they incorporating other Internet of Things applications like lighting and visitor management? Yeah, I think um, physical security is, is a very important application. I think the maturity of the technology is not there yet. Um, I think it's getting there. I think we still need more work. Um, if you look at one of the most interesting applications that a lot of people want to see in the market, so if you're out there and you're thinking of what company do I start, um, you should start a company that solves the how do we count people problem because no one's figured that out quite yet. There's CO2 sensors that can detect the general presence of people. Uh, there's infrared sensors that can generate, that can track general presence of people. You know, there's companies like Enlighted uh, that have, you know, a detection fabric into their lights, but it only works if you have Enlighted everywhere, which is just not the case. And it's 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 a very expensive way to deploy, you know, people counting technology. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's video, right? There's uh, video processing. I think the main, if if you were to ask me, what is the technology that's going to win? I think with uh, the introduction of fog computing or edge computing, uh, however you want to define it, which which is really to say distributed, you know, uh, on the local network, fast CPU cycles processing, because you don't you, you don't want to shuttle video data to a cloud for analysis, and that's what companies like Intel and Dell are making possible. Is you know they're putting a pretty big chip in these gateways that can do a lot of work. If you run video through it and have um, uh, you know face detection technology, you can actually um, count the people very easily in the frame and figure out who's where in the building at what time and, and are they supposed to be there. Now that opens up a whole range of privacy concerns and privacy questions, which is how do we feel about you know 24/7 surveillance everywhere we are in a commercial building, whether it's a, a private or a public building. And I think it's things that we as a market are going to need to begin to address. Uh, but I think that's that's really where things are headed is a more accurate. Um, better, more useful video processing that's happening on the edge of, of the cloud. Yeah, and we, we track that a lot, and we're seeing a lot of video vendors um, coming to market with solutions like edge storage. Uh, yeah, re retail is a big driver for that, right? It's intelligence around who's in your store, why and when, yeah, and yeah, what yeah. type of buying behavior. Uh, that's what's, what's really driving yeah. that. Uh, but that. And that is a whole, that is a whole other webinar. <laughs> Uh, question here, uh, have you seen the sales process navigate from sustainability to C-suite? Uh, any um, comment? Seems like sustainability is typically underfunded with limited influence, despite press reports to the contrary. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's spot on. I, I think that's a 100% true statement. I think sustainability is underfunded. I think uh, sustainability is an influencer in the buying decision, but it's not the main stakeholder and it's not the budget holder. Um, and so C-suite is definitely where you want to sell this technology uh, because it, it allows you to accomplish so much more if you actually have the eyes of the C-suite, um, if you actually are able to bubble up that intelligence at that level and make it useful. So it, 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 the level at which you think is very different when you're selling to a C-suite than if you're selling to the you know, building operator, you know, facility manager uh, tier. You really need both for a well-integrated solution. Well, you got to create value at both levels, uh, but it's really a continuum, and it, it just changes how you think about product, and it changes how you think about value proposition when you do that. Yeah. Does uh, the demand response market create clearer incentives to implement energy management systems? 
Um, you know, I think the demand response market had a strong start. Uh, I think it became very, very heavily commoditized. I think if you look at companies like Anonok and what's happened to their, uh, you know, their their value, I, I think it's it, it demonstrates just how commoditized the market has gotten. Mm. In the past, it's been certainly, you know, if you look at energy, Anonok's model, and they, they, you know, they're certainly a competitor in the space, and they sell energy management software. Um, they're one of the players that are worth mentioning. They um, they fund that deployment um, by taking out money from the demand response payments. And that works, uh, but frankly, this kind of technology needs to have its own legs. If you can't make a valid proposition without subsidizing it, without a revenue streams, that the product you're selling, frankly, isn't valuable enough yeah. for the enterprise. Um, and so that's really our view on it, and that's why we focus to you know, build software technology that can stem at its own legs and provide value in the absence of incentives and the absence of um, demand response payments. Uh, it, it's cer certainly right, it's one funding mechanism, um, but um, it's, it, it doesn't give you the velocity you need. That was a, yes, a really good answer, because actually there was a follow-up question here, and he was asking who the financial players are in the EMS space, and is there still a market for tax credits? But I guess your opinion is that it shouldn't be needed. It slows you down. I mean, you can, but again, you're, 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 the mode you're going to start operating on is that really, really kind of tight vertical focus of saying, I'm going to sell these customers because they have this tax incentive and they're in this specific geography, they have this specific rate structure, and you suddenly you know, slim down your total addressable market by 95%. Um, and you can do that because the market is vast, but that's not how you go and build a, a large software company in a space that desperately needs software innovation. Mm. Yeah. Got some questions here specifically about, about building OS, your product. Uh, does, mm -hmm. this, does your software offer drill down to building operational component detail, HVAC-like compressor, uh, etc., cetera, uh, or does it only deal with BMS data? No, it, it, it does. I mean, it, the, the question really is, can, can we get the data? And yeah. I think the answer is it depends on infrastructure, right? So, you know, as we take a customer through the initial scoping, we always figure out, hey, what are all the things you would want to connect and what are the things that are actually connectable? You know, we in our office has, have a proprietary Mitsubishi HVAC system that for the life of us, we can't connect ourselves. So there's those, uh, you know, those... Uh, really all proprietary lockdown isolated solutions that are never going to be connectable uh, but for the most part most of the devices out there certainly are so uh, yeah we, we, we can pull data from a lot of different devices and uh, and it really comes down to you know what solution are we providing for that specific user is it um, if we are providing a solution that operates that level certainly um, but I will say that most of the market is not really asking for that capability most of the market is really asking for um, portfolio-level intelligence um, because they frankly don't have the infrastructure, the data infrastructure in place at that level. They have it for a subset of their buildings, but if you look at the broad swath, they, you know, what most customers are asking for is um, we want whole building performance and, in a perfect world, system-level performance. Um, and, all, and then maybe for select buildings, buildings we want component-level performance analysis. Mm. <coughs> Got time now for just a couple more questions. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, does your software, or do you have plans to look at things like ongoing commissioning? I know that's something that um, we've tried to cover a little bit. It's a really interesting topic. 
Yeah, I, th I think that the, if I were to rephrase the question, it's, you know, is Lucid interested in, in providing energy efficiency services like ongoing commissioning? So I'd like to broaden the question a little bit. I think the answer is is no. Uh, we are strictly focused on being a software company, so we're not interested in, in competing with uh, service providers that can provide those services. Instead, we're focused on partnering with people who provide ongoing commissioning using our technology. Yeah. And that's really the main paradigm shift is how do we uh, aggressively and quickly switch the market from that vertically entrenched, vertically integrated model yeah. to a horizontal model where you can pick uh, the guys you want to work with and buy, get the software you want and get the hardware pieces that you actually want to use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, because, you, I mean, there will be companies that you partner with that can use your software to do the ongoing commissioning. Yeah, and in fact, we, we have a lot of uh, channel resellers who are managed services providers that use it in that capacity, and what they get is they basically now have better software than any other company in the space when they equip uh, themselves with building OS. Uh, that's a key differentiator. They provide a lot more value for the customer. Um, they don't have to be a software company because they can't, don't want to, don't want to spend the money. And it's, frankly, it's difficult, it's difficult to be both, and all, you just don't end up doing either very well. Um, there's not a single example of a vertically integrated provider that has been able to deliver on both promises as well. So uh, our focus is to stay true to software, be the best software company in the building domain, and, and partner with the very uh, very best and brightest when it comes to uh, services that get layered on top. Yeah, so time for just one more question here. Um, it's a question about wireless. Um, can LoRaWAN be an enabler for integrating IoT devices, but I guess I'd want to open that up a little bit. I mean, and really, the question there is, you know, in buildings, how do you see wireless, like, and specific technologies? Um, I think it'd be a game changer because if you think about the deployment of this type of technology, the main friction element is IT, mm. uh, because you're putting stuff on people's networks, and people don't like it when you put stuff on their network. Generally speaking. Uh, and so they want to avoid it at all costs. So um, you can cut down big stage gates out of the sales process if you can bypass IT. Uh, you can cut um, major uh, stage gates out of the implementation process if you can bypass IT. And I say bypass, not in let's avoid them and let's deploy a, a solution that's not secure. I say it's why create work when you can actually deploy a solution that just bubbles up data directly to the cloud with a SIM card. So I think the, um, and, and there's companies that have done that, right? If you look at companies like 38Zeros, um, they provide a metering solution, they've developed a compression algorithm that makes pushing data to the cloud very efficient from a data perspective so they can uh, get a very, very low data rate. So I think it's really a cost question. I think the, um, the data carriers um, uh, need to come up with easier to use, lower cost data plans, specifically for IoT technologies. Um, and there's also work in wall bandwidth data networks that are specifically designed around IoT applications. So I think those would be enormous catalysts for deploying this sort of solution so that you don't have to deploy expensive gateways um, that connect to local networks and, and work with IT staff to do that. Yeah, yeah, great. I, um, I, that's, that's all we've got time for, unfortunately. There were a couple more questions, but, but we've run out of time. And... Uh, I just want to say thanks, Vladi. That was really, really interesting. And um, we've had a lot of um, engagement there. So I think um, everyone's found it, found it very useful. 
No, likewise. Uh, same on my end as well, and I, and I appreciate all the great questions. So uh, thank you, everyone, for keeping the conversation interactive. Yeah, absolutely. And um, where can they find out more about um, you and, and your business? Obviously, there's the website, right? What is that? Yeah, you guys can easily go to lucidconnects.com. Um, and um, we're also organizing um, a summit uh, this May, May uh, 2nd to 4th in the Presidio in San Francisco called the Connected Building Summit. Uh, it's, it's really an industry event specifically focused around um, uh, these uh, very same topics, innovation and building technology, data-driven decision-making, business intelligence, and, and the commercial enterprise that has to do with buildings. Um, and so um, we're going to have some pretty interesting panel discussions and presentations from, from the industry and from customers um, for, for two days in the Presidio. So if you guys are in the Bay Area or plan to be here, um, definitely sign up. I think the URL is uh, connectedbuildings.co. Great. That sounds awesome. And uh, from my side, I just want to thank uh, Tridium again, the sponsors for, for, for sponsoring our, our Smart Buildings webinar this, uh, this year. And just to let you guys know, um, next month we're going to be doing a webinar with Kevin Smith, a cybersecurity expert. We're going to be looking specifically at some of the challenges of cybersecurity in buildings and, um, and, and specific technologies. So uh, um, if you're not subscribed to our uh, email list, please do that. And um, we will be sending out more information about when, when that will be. So, yeah, thanks again, Vladdy, and uh, goodbye. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.